Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Before I ever ran a casino or got myself blown up, Ace Rothstein was a hell of a handicapper. I can tell you that. I was so good that whenever I bet, I could change the odds for every bookmaker in the country. I'm serious. I had it down so cold that I was given paradise on earth. I was given one of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas to run, the Tangiers, by the only kind of guys that can actually get you that kind of money, $62,700,000. I don't know all the details. Matter of fact, nobody knew all the details. But it should have been perfect. I mean, he had me, Nicky Santoro, his best friend watching his ass. And he had Ginger, the woman he loved on his arm. But in the end, we fucked it all up. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Casino. Starring Robert De Niro. Are we certain that you want the gaming control board eyeballing your record and your gangster pals like Nicky Santoro? I think you're way out of line talking to me like that. What you're saying is libelous. Joe Pesci. There's a lot of things going to change out here, and if you want to be there with me, Sammy, you're going to have to go my fucking way. you got to understand my situation. I'm responsible for thousands of people. i got $100 million a year going through the place. It's all over. I'm going to tell you, it's all over if I don't get that license. And believe me, if it goes bad for me, it's going to go bad for a lot of people. Sharon Stone. Could have killed him. Okay, he could have killed him. He didn't have to hit him. It's not exactly like I'm sleeping with the guy who lets me stick around to see my own friends. The fuck is that all about? Directed by Martin Scorsese. You want me to get out of my own fucking town? Yeah, I said let, let the bullshit blow over for a while so I can run the casino. Anything goes wrong with the casino, it's my ass. It's not yours, it's my ass. Uh, I don't know whether you know this or not, but you only have your fucking casino because I made that possible. I'm what counts out here. Not your fucking country clubs or your fucking TV show. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. You can act like a king on a throne. There's a lot of things that you can do alone. But it takes two to tango. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry about that for indulging. It's Gally in Glasgow. Uh, a man who's been known to fuck up a cup of coffee. It's Devlin in London. <laughs> and Eustace's tits on a ball. It's Patrick in London. It's a nice pen. I just think it's yours. I didn't want it to get lost. It's Matt. In South Korea. Welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang. And we, we've had our summer break. We've had the Open Slate series, the Open Slate. Um, and yeah, we are back. We're back to regular, regular programming. How are we doing, team? We all good? Fine. Recovery mode here. Corona part two. Uh, but, uh, uh, oh, all yeah. gone. My, my Corona. Yeah. God bless yeah. <laughs> Dancing the Rona. <laughs> uh, we should start with you, Gally, because you picked this one. We should direct it over to you and ask why, uh, mm. why, why were we, uh, in, in the, the Marty stable eventually after all this time? Our first Scorsese. Yeah. Our first Scorsese. Again, um, the rationale being that, uh, very scared, always scared. Taught mm. Marty. It's the eyebrows; they're shifty. <laughs> Cute. He's like a little owl. Yeah, he is. Yeah, you would make a lovely cartoon, <laughs> wouldn't he? In fact, I think he is. He's a cartoon man, um, <laughs> but very talented. Uh, no, I I think it was one of those where we we had the same discussion with Spielberg, but and um, Kubrick, and Scorsese's in. He's in that. He's in that team, isn't he? Um, but more importantly, I wanted to pick 
a Scorsese that I thought was was accessible, but was slightly underrated. I really do enjoy watching filmmakers get better. And I think the technicals in Casino, it's like he's taken his, uh, his aesthetic and also some of his tricks and he's just like taking them to a new level. And, and I really love Casino. Yeah, that's why I picked it, Matt. It was, I, I get that for Scorsese, I, I think I probably would have picked Taxi Driver if I wasn't so intimidated by it. And also yeah. everyone has written everything there is to be written about Taxi that, Driver. That put me off hard. a bit. I nearly did Bringing yeah. Out the Dead a little while ago as well. Bringing Out the Dead's another one that's underrated, right? Uh, and yeah, kind yeah. of falling into complete and utter, like, does that film even exist anymore? Because it's not even like for Cage yeah. fans, one that they go, oh, but Cage is great and bring Out the Dead. It just doesn't exist. Well, I like that you picked this before um, we did Goodfellas, because although there are going to be inevitable comparisons, it sort of gives this one a, a day in court, more of a fair day in court, I think. When did you first see it, Gully? I saw Casino, I think it would have actually been at university, um, because Scorsese, this is going to sound really odd, but I don't love all of his work. <laughs> L- little um, girl? Little girl? Little girl, uh, <laughs> says Scorsese films are not all that good. Um <laughs> But I find his, I find some of his films tough to watch, tough to get into. He's someone that I think you have to watch two, three times at least, just to allow it to kind of the layers to to sink in. Because on first watch, when I watched Casino, I was that guy who went, "Well, good fellas in it, really." Um, but in a casino, similar, and I, I also mistook it for a kind of yeah, you know, classic rise and fall, and it's it's none of those things. Um, the Did you feel let down initially? I think I was, yeah. And I also wasn't prepared for a film that was, I now I look at it as intentionally putting you through the ringer and really saying, these characters, I'm not going to make them in any way mm. likable. In Goodfellas, there is, you know, the, the criticism would be the first hour, the seduction. You know, Paulie seems like a kind of genteel old father figure who, you know, Let's go to Uncle Paulie's for dinner. Mm. Casino, there is none of that. Um, all of the characters that we spend time with, most of them are pretty mm. despicable in some some way. You could argue that De Niro's uh, probably maybe more sympathetic, but actually, they're all they're all pretty heinous. And I don't think Scorsese in any way is is trying to 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 kind of portray them in any other light. But he does that wonderful thing. Now I recognise that by the end of the film, I am I'm kind of siding with Ace and and the mafia and going. It's a shame that Vegas has become a corporate shell of itself. And <laughs> wasn't it better when it was ran by the mob? No one's getting their head stuck in a vice anymore. You could go there and you get a you know a free bacon sandwich if you gambled a bit. Now <laughs> you get nothing. Um, so yeah, uh, I think I was disappointed, and I also was like, God, this is t- it's too long. Um, and that might be a criticism that you guys might have for it, but I actually find that the length is purposeful in in the theme that it's you know kind of excess and power and 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 the whole paradise lost thing. Um, so yeah, uh, but what about you guys? What did uh, what what about you? Because yeah, it was university for me. Just uh, in short, Patrick, I I came to it late and I wasn't ready for it when I was eighteen, and then I revisited it. <laughs> but your kids again. are gonna love it. Absolutely, um, and, and then it's 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 grown in stature as I've gotten older. I think I, I 
think it was a similar time when I first watched it. And I went on a little Scorsese run at that time. I think it was university. There are Tax Driver, Casino, Goodfellas. I remember watching all of them around a similar time. And um, the thing is, I don't remember watching Casino since, to be honest. It's not something I revisited till this week. Uh, and like you, I thought Goodfellas was a better film and I was kind of blown away by Tax Driver. I'm Raging Bull, but that Raging Bull was the one I took away from the Scorsese um, uh, uh, indulgence <laughs> that I had. And that was the one that impressed me kind of the most and I thought was his best film. Um, I. I don't know why I haven't gone back to it. I didn't, you know what? I didn't, I, I've read a lot of criticism this week about the time, uh, the duration and the comparisons with Goodfellas and people saying, Oh, this and Goodfellas just mold into one film for me. I can't discern the characters from each. I never felt that or that, that wasn't something I felt when I first watched it at all or how I remembered it over the last, you know, over these years. But, um, I don't know why I haven't rewatched it till recently. It's been quite hard to find online, actually. Um, it's funny you picked this because about six months ago, I was trying to watch it. I fancied it and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I had to get a copy, uh, a DVD copy from Computer Exchange up in Newcastle and um, play the DVD. And it, on my TV, it's like 10% oh, of the yeah. screen size because <laughs> of how the film is and it was just like squinting I tried to like zoom in and it just didn't work at all but there you go I, I think it would have been university as well I think um Scorsese obviously when you are studying film is uh, a, a name that you uh, have to engage with at one time or another and you tend to kind of develop weird uh, relationships do possibly because it's he is held up as such a kind of uh, um, a benchmark um, but his reputation is that it is a little unusual because people do emphasize this this gangster film kind of like oh yeah Scorsese does flashy gangster films and I always think that you know even to this day you've, you've got younger generations who will kind of deride him as an old man who made flashy gangster movies and um, it's obviously not borne out in his filmography. It's just that those are some of the high points within it. Um, and I remember watching it. Uh, um, I, I remember it, liking it and then again, never really coming back to it. And this was an interesting rewatch because I was both very familiar with lots of the sequences as they played out, which means that there must be something within it that is extremely visually and audibly memorable. Uh, sequence to sequence but the the kind of the the overarching kind of um the amount of ground that it covers i'd forgotten a great deal of so um you end up kind of just with these sort of scattered memories very 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 accurate scattered memories of certain sequences but um it was interesting to go back through the whole the whole thing so yeah it's um i think it was a dvd that was just around and even back then i think it was a dvd that was cheap to buy possibly because a lot of people had and then had sort of handed it back into computer exchange i don't know it it does feel like a film that people would exchange for 50p which is such an odd thing to say about a film that i uh that i actually did like um how about you matt um well goodfellas was the one that sort of hooked us all in and we were really obsessed with goodfellas at school so this will have been 15 16 particularly me 
Rob and Phil in my English class. And at, at the time, I should have saved this for the Goodfellas one, but I thought it was funny. Uh, Rob got a pager. He was one of the first people at school to get a pager. He wasn't a drug dealer, but he had a pager for some reason. And um, uh, Phil would call up BT and relay over the phone like messages like my mother's making fresh peppers and sausage and that the, the poor woman at BT <laughs> would have to send it through to, to Rob's pages. So we, we were just in tears like half the time because some of the, the messages that would come through and it was that stupid school laughter where you have to sort of stifle it. So everything becomes funnier than it actually is as well. Um, so that, that's one of my early Scorsese memories, just being obsessed with that film and the screenplay and just repeating it to each other. And I think it was born out of that. I got Casino on VHS and um, from Choices, I think, at the top of the marketplace and watched that uh, less often because it always brought me down. Galley touched on it there. It brought me down a bit more than Goodfellas did. Like Goodfellas has more of a warm sort of romantic build to it, even though it gets dark. But um, Casino can really bring you down if you're not careful. Um, and my lazy thoughts at the time were always, if Goodfellas didn't exist, then Casino would be the one. It, I mean, I, I don't think I'd seen Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, anything like that at the time. And I thought that would be his masterpiece if, if Goodfellas didn't exist. Before we get into it then, Patrick, good luck is my first thing I'll say. And then I'll go, well, maybe just plot A <laughs> and remind us and the listeners <laughs> of the story. Shall we say the story or do I say the plot of Casino? I'll try. I'm imagining that you've written this in such tiny, scratchy little handwriting font that it'll look like the book's from Seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Casino, 1995. When you love someone, you've got to trust them. There's no other way. You've got to give them the key to everything that's yours. Otherwise, what's the point? And for a while, Sam believed that that's the kind of love he had. Sam, Ace Rothstein, was a hell of a handicapper, I can tell you that. And in 1973, was given one of the biggest Las Vegas casinos to run, the Tangiers, by the Chicago Mafia. The casino has its frontman, Philip Green, to make it legitimate as Sam applied for his gaming license, and Nicky Santoro, mob enforcer, Sam's childhood friend, is sent to protect him. The skim, the casino, and their $62,700,000 investment. In Vegas, everybody's got to watch everybody else. But one day, Sam is watching one of the best-known, best-liked, and most-respected hustlers in town, Ginger, and fell in love instantly. But love costs money. They marry, but Ginger struggles to let go of her old country club golf hustler and pimp, Lester, that questions their trust before they've started. But she did say she's not in love with Sam. Sam puts $2 million in a bank, and along with the extravagant jewellery that he's bought Ginger, and entrusts her with the key. And for a time, Sam felt safe and covered. Can he trust her? Can he trust her? Can he trust her? Nicky found his feet in Vegas, essentially owning the mob activity in the area that starts causing problems for Sam with his blasé, obvious shenanigans that draws too much police attention and is eventually banned from every casino in town. But when Ginger takes $25,000 to Lester, Sam gets Nicky to organise a beating in front of Ginger to make a point. He thinks he can change her, and they now have a child. 
Samfire's slot manager Don Ward for incompetence, a decision that turns the local cowboys against him and investigate and deny Sam's gaming license application, threatening his position. With Sam's commitment to the casino and Ginger's love of Lester and certain lifestyle, their relationship deteriorates and she turns to Nikki for eventual sweaty attention, even asking Nikki to kill Sam. When the boss is found out their skim is being skimmed, they're not happy and send Casey underboss Artie Piscano to sort it out. However, Artie is a disaster, who could fuck up a cup of coffee, and is heard giving detail of the skim through an FBI book, prompting a full investigation into the Tangiers. Piscano even wrote everything down. He sunk the world. The boss's clean house. Nicky was dealing with degenerate animals out there, killing as he saw fit, but never caught but wasn't so careful with his affair with Ginger. And that doesn't wash with made guys. In 1980, Ginger kidnaps their daughter Amy, planning to take her to Europe with Lester, but Sam convinces her to come home, where he overhears Ginger on the phone plotting to kill her. Sam discovers Ginger's and Nikki's affair, and Ginger leaves Sam, taking the banked money and jewels, much to Sam's horror, but the FBI take it as evidence anyway. By 19... 19- 83, she spent it all and dies of a hot dose. That same year, Sam narrowly survives a car bomb, and by 1986, good year, the bosses are finally through with Nicky and his recklessness, and is brutally beaten with bats and buried along with his brother Dominic in a shallow grave, still breathing. The old Vegas is dead. Casinos torn down and rebuilt with junk bombs corporate-run impersonation Sam laments about as he returns to handicapping in San Diego, right back where he started. The mafia out of the casino industry, that's such a good thing. Paradise. But in the end, they fucked it all up. You don't stay at the top forever. Oh, God. How'd you follow that? <laughs> maybe maybe we're just the one ring. <laughs> <laughs> Walk into Kate Blanchett's... Uh... <laughs> Prologue and Lord of the Rings there, Patrick. No, um, thank you very much. Uh, a lot going on, right? Yeah, a lot going on, despite a largely plotless this film. It's just a history mm. observation. One of the things I thought like, was, like, if somebody asked me what this film was about, like, before we researched it, I would have had a really hard time, like, describing well, it. I would have been able doesn't to... Doesn't the title give it away? <laughs> like, <laughs> I would have been able to hit certain beats, but... Yeah. The when it comes to like the the mob and and a lot, a lot of the intricacies of, of elements of it, I wouldn't have been able to relay it. And I'm still not mm. sure I could relay all of it clearly. Mm. Yeah, it does feel like um in maybe uh, uh like I was saying maybe the memory of it has like a a more cohesive. Not to say that the film is incoherent. I mean like um I seem to remember it more being focused around the running of a casino, whereas mm-hmm. this... Of That's course, just like the brought, first hour, though, right, Dabs? Yeah, it spins out, and by the time you spin out and you, you start to meet the kind of, you know, the interconnected nature of organized crime means that you're going to have a bunch more guys, and it means mm-hmm. that you're always going to have to move locations. And I think um, probably if you were trying to construct a film like this whole cloth, you might be tempted, especially in like screenwriting terms, you might be tempted to, someone would come in and say, all this shit goes. Like, if you are going to make a film about the running of a casino, I need the action to largely take place here with these people. So, you know, 
shooting off to Kansas City kind of might kind of uh, uh, dilute things, but um, they might make more of the FBI investigation and the chase and yeah. that, right? Well, yeah, when we get yeah. to the critics, they talked more about the the first hour being like a documentary drama almost. And there's like yeah. there's loads of um, you're sort of bombarded with detail as well, which is mm. one of the strengths of the film, I think. But it it sort mm. of uh, works against it in a way because you almost have to see it multiple times to really get yeah. get everything they're chucking at you. It feels like Scorsese's, I mean, he's on a mission, isn't he? That the opening scene is the, you think, protagonist getting blown up. And mm. yes, it's a dodgy dummy in a car. Fuck that. I don't really care. It doesn't bother me because it's the start of the film and it made me just wonder like, okay, what's Scorsese doing here? It's, it's an obvious, well, I don't know. Fact, it's a, it's a striking thing. He's saying something. Okay. Yeah. Try not to forget that because it's, I, I, I like to think that he didn't really care that it looks shit. It's, it's a, he's playing with the audience at this point. Almost like a Bond movie, like you got you got a really captive narrative, you know, about trust, and it's like, okay, so what is this film about? It's called Casino. We've got this guy; he's talking about trust and love, and then we crack on into it's 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 really interesting opening that you know starts um, this year and then goes back ten years, and it's you've got to be confident in order to throw an audience around like that so quickly. And that's what I love about it now, Patrick, and. Um, I- Little side note before I get into um, what I love about that unconventional structure, which is normally my thing, which is please give me structure. Um, <laughs> but I wonder because Scorsese, De Palma, Spielberg, Luca, they're all friends. And I'm a big fan of Carlito's way. And listen to the De Palma commentary. Mm. He, sa- he said that when he was making that film, the one thing that he wanted to do was trick the audience by killing the protagonist in the first reel at literally the opening scene and see if they remember by the end that he's going to yeah. get killed and that was one mm. of it and i wonder if scorsese was like well that was a couple of years previous mm. and he thought mm, interesting that'd be a good cold opening did it bother you that they pulled the rug on on de niro like uh, did did you feel like you were watching a dead man for the whole film or like me did you just forget completely i forgot until he walked out <laughs> the building and then yeah, when he yeah. survives the car bomb, I was kind of had a little bit of a wry smile that I was being fucked with. But there's a gravitas that comes with watching a dead man. It's so it's yeah. a shame that we forget in a way, but it's also also I didn't mind it. Yeah, it's not like Sunset Boulevard type. No. But it is untrustworthy narration all the way through. Like uh, the way I love the way Pesci's uh, narrating his own death scene when he gets (laughs) gets whacked in the middle of his sentence. It's amazing. That's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I've never heard of that. It's so bleakly playful, though. It took months for everything to calm down, but finally, my guys got out on bail, and the bosses wanted me to send my brother Dominic out to Vegas. Always the dollars. Always the fucking dollars. I mean, it was still way too hot for me to even go near Vegas. So I set up a meeting with the guys way out in the sticks. I didn't want my brother to get fucked around. I mean, what's right is right. They don't give a fuck about it. Tough 
afterwards, he's got Gangs of New York. He then does Wolf of Wall Street, which, as I say, thematically, you could argue is another gangster film. It's just I, I think Wolf of Wall Street has a lot to owe to Casino. But I'm, I'm just talking about thematically. If you were to say, well, okay, reductively, Scorsese just makes gangster films. This is his Godfather Part Three, in my mm-hmm. eyes. You know, Mean Streets was mm-hmm. um, hoodlums on the street never leave the street. Mm-hmm. Goodfellas is a midland gangster, lower level who, mob. Who lives in suburbia and ends up in suburbia, you know, and there's a whole theme about Scorsese characters. They they always end up where they started. And this is like actually a bit like Godfather Part Three. This is the mob. It's infiltrating every aspect of, of your life, right? Mm. He goes on television. He's got an audience. Mm. And that's that's all mob influence. And you see the running of a casino. That requires a filmmaker of, of incredible skill because it's all that story as you say devlin normally you go let's just you you could argue that like well they try and distill this casino uh paradise lost theme in these three characters but it goes way beyond that because we have frankie who then gets his own narration so you're like well this yeah. is completely what we're yeah. doing here we've just gone off to a scene with a character yeah. who's been on the side of pesci the whole time and now he's the protagonist of this film for, for a scene. And then it comes it, <laughs> it's all very Wuthering Heights, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. But you're right. I wasn't ready for it when I was 18. It was too much for me. I was like, this is this is not, I don't know where I am. It's so abrupt and matter of fact, isn't it? It's quite startling how you're thrown into all these characters. And you, yeah. sometimes I watch things that I, there's too many names and locations. Like, oh, fuck mm. it, hell. Mm. Who, what, who am I supposed to latch onto? Who am I supposed to remember? This just flows really at the beginning. The, the, um, way, the way Nikki goes, it's me, Nikki Santoro. And he's just, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden you just sort of in on it. And then Ginger starts yeah. doing it too. And then I'm yeah. surprised we didn't get a Jimmy Woods voiceover at some point. Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Woods. Apparently he did his scenes in like two days. And when you look at the locations, he did it in. That's, James um, Woods pretending to remember uh, Ace's phone number is one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. eight one six five. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> we gotta go. And here, here's going back to Gally's observation of um, just with James Woods, this is brilliant. Um, is is wry kind of sense of humor, his wicked sense of humor. Mm. In the background, James Woods is always fighting with Amy, the daughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's always like winding him up. And he, I find it so <laughs> funny. She's hitting him and sticking yeah. her tongue out at him. And he's, he's getting so wound up. It's really good. Mm. And then in the foreground, you've got the seriousness of ginger's yeah. conversation with right. ace right. Um, <laughs> in the background well, it's under it's, a, it's undercutting things and it's mm-hmm. yeah. it's kind of naturalistic in a way and and mm. it's very clever all those examples of the the kind of the contrast within within the frame because he does it loads of times like even to the point where some of the scariest stuff because i think pesci in this is i, I rewatched goodfellas as a kind of point of comparison uh, and in Goodfellas, there is a kind of there's a safety in in hanging around with these guys. There's a kind of mm. there's a there's, it's slightly more family orientated. It's it's weird though because there shouldn't be like the spider stuff is a little bit nasty, but you're right. It's it's a slightly warmer tone somehow. I don't know how he does it, but it's always he always comes back to the severity and the drama of the situation because it's there's hefty themes that. Gally said the Godfather 3 kind of when they 
transcend their lower level stuff. And it's there's more money at stake here, and there's mafia bosses, and there's lives at stake and relationships. It's not about youth. And I think that that's why Goodfellas sticks with people so much because um, you have this much cleaner narrative of like, you have as far back as I can remember, I always wanted mm. to be a gangster. There's oh, Henry's a whole origin story. Yeah, you're following a kid here. We're meeting people and they're already established middle-aged characters. But I'm, but I'm thinking like tonally, you're absolutely right. And that tone is the thing that I think, not that it can bum you out, but there are scenes that feel like you've seen this scene before. And you're getting hammered. Yeah, I'm thinking about like the ace, ginger, back and forth near the end. There's like that repetition purposely done, but it's it's quite tough to watch because you yeah. are at that point yeah. going, why are you giving this character? If you're like on De Niro, so we spend more time with De Niro, why are we giving, why are you putting your faith in this character? But then you could say the same about De Niro with Pesci and like Nicky. He's not going to change. No one hmm. seemingly is going to change. There's this this kind of like self-destructive loop of characters yeah. that are locked into their pattern of behavior. And Casino exposes that. And Goodfellas, it's more like, uh, you know, you had it all very good. You got caught mm. and drugs came in. And drugs seems to be the thing that equals mm. the deterioration. In this, it's like their path is already laid out in front yeah. of them right yeah. at the beginning of the film. There is, I mean, there is the element of, of course, of like, and then the eighties came and everybody did the blow and then everything <laughs> went to hell. But it's like, well, it's just with her and her pat, like you said, that was already, yeah, in her motion. lifestyle. It's, it's just set up that, in their conversation when yeah. she's like, I'm not that kind of girl. Yeah. But, you know, the, there is all these things going on. You've got the kind of hubristic nature of mm. a guy who literally gets keys to, to, to the kingdom. And as he says, we fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should have been great. And I, I even like De Niro's thing of being, well, not De Niro's, uh, uh, Ace's thing of just being the, the fastidious nature that he has meant that it's, you know, his path is fucked when he sacks Joe Bob Briggs and won't back down over a, over a minor skirmish. <laughs> and it's on board because he needs the, 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 to exercise that level of control. And he's, he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's... yeah, there's a bit when he's with his wife and that young casino employee comes up like, she's the most beautiful girl. And he goes, yeah. hey, he's a confident little prick. I, <laughs> I, I sacked him the next day. <laughs> so cutting and yeah. so brutally honest that like this narration feels uh, that it's really under the skin of characters interesting things about him though is that he goes against everything that's been set up in order to accept mm. ginger in well i made sure in story time i had the the moment she says i'm not in love with you mm. and he he's making a deal and it's all kind of monetary he even says shall we take a chance yeah yeah and it, it's it's gambling he, he's a gambler and you know, like um, like Nikki says, just doesn't seem to get any fun from it. And mm. that gamble, the whole thing's a gamble. It's the mafia gamble. It's him gambling on his life, on his relationships, on on his decisions. It's really fascinating that that element to his character. It's like this idea. I think it's doomed from the beginning because he talks about trust and and being faithful. But um, she's seeing other men. She's she's a prostitute. Even at the beginning of their relationship, he's been cucked from from the get go. Mm. And on their wedding night, when she rings Lester, he oh, listens yeah. to that and 
yeah still believes he can change her but he's trying to buy her too he knows she's a prostitute he's saying i'll take care of you i'll take care of your kids these things can develop love can grow from friendship it's like paying premiums on your gamble isn't it it's, it's... yeah and one of my favorite moments is when he is floundering when he's asking her to marry him and she says no and he's wounded mm. and there's this great moment where he dusts the ash from his cigar off his smoking jacket because he's he's just so embarrassed and he doesn't know what to to do and he has to talk her into it i care about you but i just don't have those kind of feelings for you i'm sorry i'm not in love with you i can grow as long as there's a mutual respect that kind of thing can grow i'm realistic i can accept that but you know what is what is love anyway it's a it's a mutual respect it's a, it's a devotion it's a it's a caring from one person to another and if we could set up some kind of foundation based on that mutual respect i feel that eventually you would care enough about me that i can live with that know if it doesn't play out then what happens to me you know i'm doing well now and i'm gonna do even better and so whatever happens if it doesn't work out between us i'm gonna make sure you're okay for the rest of your life and if there are kids especially you know i'll take care of you better than you'd ever imagine what are you pitching me just what i said you'll be set up for the rest of your life that i can promise you take a chance i know when i was younger i was like i just don't buy this why would this guy do it but scorsese sets it up you know this is why he's the master of cinema that whole sequence when ace sees her is so beautifully done you know mm -hmm. slow mm -hmm. slow into his face and we feel like we see what he sees which is ginger but we feel what the character feels and the music cue and the slow motion it's just magic and if you need any more motivation for why this guy's going to continually chase this woman, that's it, right? fell in love right there but in vegas for a girl like ginger love costs money well that was an interesting meet me halfway this week because he is we're seeing ginger mm. um the same time as sam is seeing ginger so when he first meets her what is she doing she's uh, there's actually a shot of of her previous which doesn't really count at a fountain uh that's the first time we see her in in the film oh when nikki's narrating saying yes he had but her on her arm on his arm I, I don't, don't know if we should include that as, as Meet Me Halfway. I think it's much better. It's more telling that she's throwing the chips 
up and mm-hmm. she's uh, abusing she's skimming that guy from the that guy she's that she's uh, seducing. Yeah, irrationally yelling and just being, um, you know. And, and there's loud. the there's the other thing about the motivation of Sam is as well that he's he's just explained how they catch criminals like the pit bosses are watching the blah 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 blah, and mm. the eye in the sky is watching us all, and he's watching her commit a crime, but he yeah. overlooks it. So he mm-hmm. he's overlooking the warning, even though it's right there in his face anyway, because of, are we calling it love at first sight? I think it's part love and it's part, um, I, I can, I want someone like this. And, and also he thinks that he can change her and tame her. And mm-hmm. that's always, you know, famous last words, isn't it? And everyone's got their relationship in this film. <laughs> that is their Achilles, you know, hers is Lester. Um, you're wonderfully played by James Woods, where, yep. you know, pretty despicable human being. And I do wonder <laughs> in the casting process whether or not they go, he'd make a good scumbag because he kind of is one, right? <laughs> Did you see um, Another Day in Paradise, which is a film that yeah. came out about three years after that was a uh, uh, Larry Clark film who did kids and bully and he's he's almost the same character in that but he's more calculated and, and more despicable in in a way mm. but well he's great yeah. in any given so uh, any given sunday as well as the the medic who's quite happy the doc who's like yeah fuck him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would have got this film maybe i don't know on the back of once upon a time in america though or well i think it? he was a, a pre- yeah. prestigious yeah. Mm. talent isn't he i think you know because he's great in this in his, in the short scenes he's in and there's so much going on, as you say. If you just watch him and his interactions with anybody, even the the phone call at the wedding where the the kind of the hookers coming in doing a bit of blow. And yeah. he's like, Do you know I love you? He's <laughs> it, just kind of sailing. I'm looking a, at you. I'm looking. Uh, you see, and, yeah. But it, but it's so creepy mm. and that echoes back to Harvey Keitel in Taxi Driver, Gally, with the, yeah. all the stuff yeah. he's saying to Jodie Foster. It's the the pimp and the prostitute. Well, the mm-hmm. way he's describing their first meeting and was she 14 or something? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got this hold on her that she can never yeah. escape. And then, and then I suppose Nikki's kind of destructive relationship is with his occupation, right? It's his is a relationship with greed, isn't it? I suppose it's. Yeah, greed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you could argue it is just greed because he's stealing. He doesn't need to steal, right? What, yeah. what, what more does he need to do other than keep taking stuff for himself? It's another self-destructive thing, all of them. Which is a gambler, a gambler's curse, right? There's no getting out when the getting's good. That's the that's the illusion that you can uh, that you can walk away when you're on top. Like, do you rate De Niro in this role? Hot take. I think he's better in Casino than in Goodfellas. I don't think he's the best thing in Goodfellas. Um, I, there's a um, a moment. I it's one of the big blow up arguments with Ginger. Um, at the dinner table his, when she's tied up. Uh, no, I think Ooh. it's earlier than that in his house. Uh, although that one is, that one is incredible, but that's much more focused. But even when he's in his own house, he can't lock eyes with her, even though he is screaming at her. Like, you know, they're chasing through the house. He's constantly looking around her and assessing everything in the, uh, in the set where you was, you would think that it would be like the, the the obvious acting choice would be to spew this rage directly at the mm. person opposite you because mm-hmm. eyeline is so important in film especially. And instead he's getting very angry, but you can see that he is trying to assess so much all at the same time. And so mm. it's not like um it's not a histrionic rage. 
he's still trying to exercise control. Is that because he knows that he he went for it? He knew it was wrong and he went for it anyway. So he can't be entirely mad at her. It's like being mad at a dog or something when your dog does something wrong. Yeah. It's like you, you yeah. You, and I, and yeah. I guess it's, it's also that he just, he can't stop like calculating the, the numbers on every possible situation he's constantly mm. like he's he's never quite there which possibly is another thing that makes it really interesting in why the film can probably doesn't um grab people emotionally in the same way that goodfellas does because it's like that's your lead character and mm. he is intentionally very remote to you devlin that scene with the uh gambling commission not gambling commissioners the Cowboys, yeah, Mm. wonderful stuff. There's a moment where he pauses, and you can you can tell he's like, "I see, I should probably backtrack." Yeah, he says, uh, "Is because I think he says, is there any?'" And I love the way he's like, "Is there anything further down the trough?" (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't go for it. It's like that's the moment where you're screaming at this, you're screaming at the film, going, "Just do it, just do it." Because and then he's like, "You people will never understand," and and that's it. That's the you could argue the scene that is going to be the downfall of the casino. It's all surrounding in that interaction. Because then all we see is that guy in the background puppeteering uh, how they're going to get rid of these uh, these mafiosa types. The way De Niro moves a cigarette around this film is. Well, in Midnight Run, he's constant, actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the way, something about the way he holds a cigarette in this film and moves it around as he is part of his character, it's really interesting. But Devlin, what, one of the other scenes with Ginger, um, I'm trying to think, he's, maybe he's the best with his interactions with Ginger in the film for me. But when he realizes she's sleeping with Nikki and he's sat down next to her, and he's like empathizing and he's trying to find a way well, yeah. through it. And it's, it's that great line where he says, I hope it's not who I, I yeah, I, I hope. Uh, yeah. uh, and he's just <laughs> trying to find a solution and nodding his head. And it's, mm. it's great, great stuff. Mm. Who were you with? I was with somebody. I know you were with somebody. Who was it? I just hope it's not someone who I think it might be. I just hope it's not that. I knew she fucked around. Yeah, she did what she did, and I did what I had to do, but... Jesus, Nikki was the worst thing she could have done. What if he won't stop? I mean, it could get us both killed. I can back him off. Now, listeners, I did. I do these playful headlines with my notes sometimes, and uh, and I decided to take this one from uh, from Chris Finch uh, of The Office, which is a common criticism <laughs> that I read all the time about Scorsese, and it's we're going to assess whether or not that's fair. Is uh, is that female characters tends to be his kind of like weak spot um, mm-hmm. in the stories that he tells? They do tend to be not periphery, but they. They are more of a, a kind of an accessory to the main characters because he's very interested in exploring the human condition, but it's mainly surrounding toxic masculinity, self-destruction. They tend to be male power orientated characters. And this, I think, is, uh, is another example. But my headline was, uh, but how can Scorsese hate women? 
his mum's one. Um, is Chris Vince uh, smartest guy I know smartest guy you know as well Um, (laughs) definitely the smartest one you know read a book a week so uh, yeah you you know give me these blockbusters Uh, and of course Scorsese's mother's in the film as well yeah yeah she's great oh hey oh it's so good again I said freaking (laughs) (laughs) what do what do we think because I I think Sharon Stone's really good in the movie. I think mm. her performance is fantastic. I really like the character. The character drops out for about a 40-minute window yeah. when Lester gets beaten up. She basically goes into a kind of mm. I'm-going-to-stay-in-bed phase yeah. and just sort of... She she goes into a chrysalis and re-emerges as a far worse version of herself. Yeah, absolutely. She, she says, I'll try, I'll try. It's but really... the film does move away from her and then when she does become like Sharon Stone is unleashed yeah ends up feeling a touch one no only because I do feel like we don't get that not that she needs a redemptive arc but we don't get her relationship with her daughter maybe that's it maybe that's the relationship Mm. that we see which is that there isn't really one but I struggle to think that he would have allowed a mother to take care of a child throughout that time without her having some motherly instincts, but we don't see it. Is it is a fair is it a fair criticism? I don't think it's any secret that Scorsese concentrates on male protagonists and their male central centered films completely. But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that the, the the women in his films don't elevate the performances, the the, the character, the the story. And in this, it absolutely does. Even his mum elevates the scenes like Matt said he likes. And oh! You look at oh, other, like, um, <laughs> like L- L- Lorraine in, uh, Goodfellas. Um, she, she's fucking amazing. And I, 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 I understand where the criticism coming from. It, it, I don't have a problem myself, yeah. but in this film, there is a, a certain interest in Ginger for me is she's been driven that way almost from sexual abuse as a child from Lester. He's had a and tough life, right? It's a it's very weird. tough life. And he's kind of just, he, he says I'm working 18 hours some days at the casino and he's yeah. just left her to it. And mm. yeah, he loves his daughter and he gets very emotionally charged when she's done things to her daughter, which is right. And it's base and horrible. It, what she does to her. I'm, I'm trying to latch on. I was trying to make sense of, well, do do I care for Sam because she's been such a dickhead to him and her, their child? Or am I empathizing with her because of all the men in her life have just fucked her over. And the only mm. way that she's had a happier life is to pay them off and give them what they want, whether sex mm. or money. What, 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 how has she survived this? And in the end, she could have been murdered. Yeah. I suppose there's one line, isn't there, where he said in the narration again, uh, when we're wrapping up the story and he said, you know, the cops get her and he says, um, you know, despite all of her bullshit, she never told them anything. I suppose that's the one line you could say, well, you know, Ginger didn't, didn't give it up. And you say, you say one note of the character, but the, when she's drunk, having tied up Amy in that restaurant and he comes to talk to her and she's just all over the place and spaced out is she's just fucked. And when the police, when the FBI get her after she thought she got away with the money and jewelry, she's like, I didn't do anything. And she, technically, she could have taken that. And it, it's, I do feel for her a bit. Can I say that, um, my favorite physical moment from Sharon 
is the way that she beats the shit out of those flowers with those boots. <laughs> it is absolutely, yeah. when she's <laughs> kicking the, the, the flowers, it is so funny. Because she's in mm. that like almost gold member suit. Uh, that her hair is like big bouffant but cut short um well that's the bit i sent you with uh, the way de niro reacts to the cops he sort of gestures um over yeah. at the cops as if to say are you going to do something about this that's another Just great the <laughs> can i try and answer your thing gally without uh, hopefully without saying something wrong but i i think it's a mistake to to gear directors towards like this idea that Scorsese isn't as good as he can be until he starts dealing with women and until he starts mm. learning to tell a story that, that encapsulates women and does that perfectly. It's like not every filmmaker is going to be able to, to do everything. And, and Patrick's right. Cause mm. he focuses on male. He's a man. He focuses on male centric performances and he does it yeah. better than maybe anyone's ever done it. And it might be a little bit too much to ask that, that, you know, Every filmmaker that we see, we put them in these boxes and we ask them to do everything. It's like you don't ask the Ramones to do something different to what, you know, the Ramones songs all sound the same and they're brilliant. And he's not he's not quite in that box. He's, he's, yeah. he's doing some like Gally mentioned all the stuff he's done, like uh, Age of Innocence and uh, mm-hmm. Last Temptation mm-hmm. of Christ. And is, is this not a man doing his best to to? to get away from the mafioso stuff. And and the women thing is a bit bit cheap, I think, a bit of a cheap attack on him, maybe. That's an issue of industry representation. You can't expect all the people to to bypass their own artistic instincts to satisfy a kind of box-sticking quota because what you'll end up with is artists not being able to create from within to without mm-hmm. and not being able to follow their own interests. And that's really, that's solved by just making sure that a broader base of people get to be the types of people who get to tell their stories as opposed to forcing everyone who tells a story to tell every story all at once, you know. But um yeah. Uh, just what you were saying about the the corporate like takeover of Vegas and how we're invited to feel so sad. One of the harshest shots in the entire film. Oh, it's harsh, isn't is it? The the Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, the, though, isn't it? It's the polyester-clad <laughs> Midwest masses <laughs> lowing towards the screen like cattle, and you think. Fuck it out. It's like, it's such a contemptuous shot. It's brilliant. I love it. Sorry. I was just going to cap off the, the stone thing there. Cause I, I, she's my favorite thing in it. I think her performance is the, the best thing in it. And I think it's the best thing she's done. Um, I, I, performance wise, I think, you know, basic instinct is how she'll be remembered. And it's, you could argue more iconic, but, um, and I think she's looked better on film, but she looks perfect for this one. She's just slightly beyond her absolute pinnacle and that's exactly right for the for the character and i just wanted to say that she wanted to work with scorsese forever there's a thing on youtube about how she pursued this role and i don't think she would have done that if she felt that she was going to be treated badly as a as a female she she auditioned for age bull didn't she and she got quite far with that right ultimately missing out yeah that's that's 1980 so that would be like and i I saw um there was a there was a um a kind of behind the scenes making of the thing with casino and she was talking about that uh <laughs> that scene where she's on the phone and she's begging sam to take her back um and then you've got lester in the background getting uh having a fight with uh with the, <laughs> the child which is great um and <laughs> she was talking about that scene and she was again you know this is us kind of you know the author scorsese you're so good but she was just saying that she wanted marty to to be close so what he did 
because she wanted she was struggling to get to the emotional heart of the scene so scorsese sat down on the floor the camera's above his head and she mm. was holding his hand and again you know you could argue like oh god you know actress so she's an actress that needs that she, you can tell can't you she said she needed that and yeah. she felt like she trusted scorsese yeah. and i think you know whatever you read about him in his in his direction whatever you read about it he is one of those people that's like just go away and play and and that's why he sticks with these collaborators right like he knows de niro and pesci and Keitel for the longest time dicaprio he just knows that he can just say but they trust him they trust him he trusts them and you know you only have to see it in curb your enthusiasm even larry trusts you know when he's throwing that money around balls <laughs> won't read he's got <laughs> balls in the bag balls will read it's testament to what he does you know his camera work is incredible and his the way he sees images is amazing but he's also a great actor's director for me i don't understand why like why wasn't sharon stone in heartbreakers with jennifer love hewitt because she should have been like, i know it's sigourney i'm not going to knock sigourney out of the role but that kind of thing yeah. she should have transitioned into mm-hmm. a kind of you know sexy older lady who is able to pull those kind of roles off and she didn't i had a slight theory on her because i think here she's so duplicitous that even when you can see the acting, when you can see Sharon Stone doing a performance, it doesn't matter because the character is constantly performing and and kind of weaving in and out of things. And uh, so anytime there is a weakness in the performance, it doesn't read as weak. It just reads as um, she's uh, got several levels to the words that she's saying and uh, she's mm. always trying to get away with something. I fucking hate you! You ate my guts! I want you to come with me now! Come with me now! Come with me now! I want you out of here! I want you out of here! I want you out of here! Take your fucking bag and get out of here! I'm going! I want my money right now! Don't get your money! Don't worry! The arrangement is over! No kidding! No kidding! And I still get my money! I need some cash right now! You can't just put me I'll in the street! Cash. You know, you haven't been straight with me ever since I met you! You never even loved me in the first place! I need eyes in the back of my love fucking you. head! Love you! Your fucking bastard! I love you! I mean, I love you! Treat me like I'm your fucking dog! You're lower than a dog! Fuck you! Yeah. Yeah. Is this enough money? That will last you two fucking days! and what do you think of the character matt i thought it was so brave that she was just so horrible and it, she was left to be so horrible and and I have this awful feeling now that if people start writing up this film, they're, they're going to start talking about toxic masculinity and things. That is the theme of Scorsese's though, isn't it? it? It's it's men who can't deal with their emotions. He's not shying away from the fact that Ace Ace treats her as an accessory and is, is trying to buy love. He's not shying away from it. He doesn't present this as a a marriage. It's a marriage of convenience, but he doesn't, the power dynamic between the two of them is never... It's transactional and material, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, he always shows it that way. I don't think... But his his intentions are far far more honourable than, than hers, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they are, yeah. And he does... I do believe that he loves her as well. Mm. 
And I like that she's left to be a devil. You know, she's left to to make all these mistakes and do bad things. And she and the way that they kill her off is just with uh, House of the Rising Sun. And she's going she's along that corridor and it's a Scorsese kind of a one and then she falls down. It's just it's there's no shame in, in it. Like Scorsese present. Maybe, maybe that's where some of the problems come from, that he's not afraid to present a female character, warts and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually leads me on to um, a slightly change of uh, shift of tone, uh, a la Casino, uh, scene by scene, if they are indeed scenes. Um, there, there are certain people that I don't want to see have sex on, on screen. And, uh, <laughs> what, Sharon certain, Stone? There is, well, Sharon Stone, yes. But there are certain couples that um, <laughs> that, that shouldn't. And, and What did you say in your synopsis, Patrick? You said sweaty... I got sweaty attention. I can't watch Pacino. I have to fast forward Heat when he's having <laughs> right. morning sex because he's like a cow. He's like, it's like a it's classy. Force, That's, uh, they've got the blue hue. It's fine. Fine. The way that Scorsese presents that that whole um, dialogue exchange is that this is so wrong, and at no point is he trying to make it like ah, but you know, there's a bit of titillation here. It's like no, this is wrong. And you're going to feel awkward. And every time that scene comes up, I was watching it with Danielle. We we both looked at it like, oh, this is uncomfortable, isn't it? This is the one on the couch where he's just eyeing her for ages. On the couch, on the couch. And it's just... Oh, the girl in the car as well. And he just puts the heads in in his lap. I mean, that's funny. All the blowjob stuff is egregious. But once he's in the the sweaty sheet stuff, that's that's the one that gets me. I have to... (laughs) They just cut to it as well. They just cut into it. I'm not ready. I'm never ready for that. Yeah. The um the what the escalating pawing in the sofa is uncomfortable, but in a way that like is just fascinating to watch. I know mm. that like it it's uh it's so kind of honest and kind of fumbling and almost like a little bit adolescent of you know that that it's just such an inevitable kind of. It's what it means as well. If it happens, we know that this yeah. is not going to end well. We know that there's blood. Yeah. But again, it's all set up at the beginning when Pesci and his wife go into the apartment. Mm-hmm. Pesci sees Ginger, and Scorsese does this. Uh, it was like a the Morticia lighting. Yeah, yeah. and it's and it's three mm. it's three separate shots, and then they transition, yeah. and there's a music cue, and I think he says like. Oh, what are you, what have you been doing out here? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and that, that is it. Like you would have to remember. He's like, well done. More, more times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He says like, well, <laughs> but, but that's the moment where you go, ah, so this character, and we see that every time he has an interaction, like I'll look after you. So mm. you, you know that the, the seed was planted early, yeah. but to mm. see it culminate in a scene that's like, oh no, this is disgusting. And then, and then yeah, it then kind it, of it, fades to black as well. There's no, yeah. There's no cut. It's like Scorsese almost like as if the curtains peering across. It's like, you know, you're going to see it for a little bit longer as it's a black It's like slowly. a Star Wars wipe yeah. that <laughs> follows the head as the head. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty egregious, but in the best possible way. Mm. Um, but I guess no, that, I, that's, you know, it, toxic masculinity being a phrase that gets thrown around because it's a modern day phrase and it does encompass a, 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 a real thing. It's just that it can be deployed in, in specific ways. But I guess that, you know, Scorsese has an innate understanding of just like the 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 world, especially the world he's dealing with, is is so patriarchal, and women are not going to be treated well. I think reviewers would pile on the male characters here, and I think it's the wrong way to read this one. I, I really do. And this is not to sound reductive, but it's almost like 
Rocky Four is one big montage, and, yeah. and Scorsese went, "Well, Casino is going to be because there's so much going on. It's just going to be one big montage, and scenes by scene don't necessarily follow normal kind of beginning, middle, and end structures. But like a documentary, you just get information, and you then piece things together, and the emotional mm. through line is is not necessarily something that you think is being set up at the beginning but should come full circle in good documentary telling you know you're normally like given the so what is it how does it work and then by the end you get the why kind of casino is that it's just that we've got like layers haven't we we've got this macro mafia casino led uh story and then we've got this personal story of self-destruction and paradise loss. Well, more the first hour is more of a documentary and then it goes off the rails in like a really cinematic way. But you're right, it doesn't have beginnings and ends to scenes in a traditional way. So it's it's very clever. It feels like all the music all the music cues as well. Yeah. It's like it's one yeah. not that it not that it feels like a music video, but you you have to kind of take you have to keep up. It's like, oh, wait, oh, mm. another song, oh, another needle drop, and we're in somewhere else. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you are actually thankful for some of the quieter scenes. There's even scenes that there's two songs in the scene. It cuts yeah. between <laughs> like, Right. Is this like the most packed soundtrack? Oh, well, it was going to be a question for Pop Quiz, but I can give it to you how now. Many so- how many songs? How many songs oh. are credited to this film on IMDb? How many songs? Oh, I'm going to go <laughs> 38. Is that two? Sh- have I got well, I've got John multiple left. choice. Okay, I'll yeah. go multiple choice, yeah. Is it A, 68, B, 72, or C, 76? Fuck me. 76. I'm going to go with Max. It's correct. Fucking hell. I tell you what, that's power, isn't it? Uh, licensing team, give these people money. Although a lot of his songs, I mean, I don't know, would the Stones <clears> be like, eh, don't worry about it, Marty? <laughs> but it depends on the label. The label might give him, mm. you know, bring, here, bring in a, 20 on our label for the yeah, same price. Bring in a live version. Ballsy move. Ballsy. Yeah. 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 Huge. There's also another thing about the music where, um, you know, Tarantino gets slagged off for being a kind of a remixer and taking songs from. I don't do, I don't do James Horner. (laughs) Well, like this, as far as I know, he's taking stuff from, um, uh, what's the Bridget Bardo, the Goddard one? Um, uh, Lemepri. And he's taking like the, the, uh, the classical piece from there. I forget the name. Yeah, it's quite a bit of classical music in this. Yeah, he's taking things from other films, other cues, and using them here. And uh, he never got, you know, criticised for it. And I guess it was more of a hip-hop culture thing that Tarantino sort of slotted into. Some of his musical choices, Matt, you could argue a little bit on the nose, but they're the ones that I absolutely <laughs> All love. The Stone like, when, stuff. We see, when we see Sharon Stone and we have the Rolling Stones, Heart of Stone, character is Heart of Stone, and she's called Sharon Stone, I'm like, God bless you, Marty. That's I mean, the, the clever subversion was Devo with their cover of Satisfaction that was good because there's, yeah. the, there's the Rolling Stones Satisfaction where just after the pen incident where he whacks mm-hmm. uh, the, the chap with the pen. I don't know if he dies. I guess he dies. And uh, you can hear Satisfaction at the end there and it's like that fits the scene. It's like he, he there's going to be more mm. of this. This is this is not going to end here. And then the Devo stuff where Frank Vincent is like the, the whole shootout thing. Later, that's really memorable 80s 
cover of that song. It's... I love the Devo. Whip it just with that yeah. overhead oh, shot of the walking into walking into mm. the restaurant. And I love Pesci going, uh, looks like the, I think Frankie says like looks like they're having a good time. Yeah, so we <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's that's almost straight out of Raging Bull, Patrick. You just saw it recently. Yeah, yeah. You know that bit where they're yeah, in yeah. the and he doesn't go yeah, over and talk to is. him. It's the just, just, just shows the glass and points to it. Yeah. But there's also songs that are very on the nose like Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way when he's trying to yeah. decide what to do. Yeah. And, and so is Ginger. It's, it's, it's all there. Uh, Zemeckis got slammed in Forrest Gump for, for going a little bit too literal, but Scorsese oh, yeah. gets away with it, I think. Because mm-hmm. it is normally layered. Like there are, and because it's, uh, it comes in, it'll be like which part of the song is playing. It's not always going to be the chorus. Sometimes he'll just go for the, right. you know, mm-hmm. for the instrumental stingers and then. Oh, did, did you hear about how he did it, Gally? He had, um, cause when we were at film school, we, you probably dealt with DAT tapes back in the day. I don't know if they still use them, but, um, like Scorsese, Back in the day, they used to put, um, I think, 40 songs he said he could fit on a DAT tape. And that's the way he used to listen to them, because this is like 95. So it's like pre-MP3 player sort of stuff where he'd try things out and, and watch it. And uh, he's like a human jukebox as well. He's one of these guys that just knows knows it inside out. But it's rhythm, isn't it? And we haven't talked about it yet. But talking about documentary style, talking about the kind of the the lack, not lack of structure, but the unconventional structure of the movie, the editing alongside those music cues, alongside also just the compositions. I mean, for mm. me, you know, Patrick, I know you love musicals. Again, mm-hmm. another another thing that I just think I, I love about the film is it feels so choreographed to the point mm-hmm. of like a dance. And even, you know, even his traditional long take stuff, when, you know, with the long take in Coca Cabana uh, Club in Goodfellas is legendary he does a similar one here but he changes the meaning of the long take it's like in Mm. casino it's matter of fact right there's no emotion we're not being seduced and i think pesci says just another fat guy working out of casino it's like it's not uh, he he undercuts that long take well there's cuts in there though as well in that bit and i was kind of wowed by almost imperceptibly missing the cuts and assuming it was one take because it's so smooth and so rhythmic, like you said, and it is, I'm not going to say music video. I don't think that's fair. It's not like your MTV editing type of thing, but it's, it, it is, it's very, I've got like in my notes, it's like a collage. And when he's talking, when he's saying the examples of how the casino is, and there's a real energy to the music and the narration. It's rhythm, music, rhythm, collage, images, color, symbol, um, like dice, cards, chips, lights. It's great. That video clip that you showed earlier on our group of, yeah, it's when all the bosses line up and it's just like, yeah. That's how you make movies. I think that's how you make a shot more interesting than it would ordinarily be, which is three guys yeah. stand into frame. It's like actually we're going to make it look like it's like Russian dolls. Just bum bum yeah. bum bum bum. It's wonderful. I think this is where you get a lot of um, uh, Edgar Wright. It's kind of his his very kind of stylized, almost as some like, uh, and also just like being willing to pop cameras, uh, pop characters out of background scenes and kind of light them almost as if they're in a void. You know, like um, there's a, a an unreality that creeps into this one that uh, probably marks out from a lot of the stuff that he's done before this. Or certainly, if we were using God uh, Goodfellas as a fairly 
direct comparison there's a lot of what robert richardson does with the lighting and with the camera placement which is there are moments which is kind of almost pre kind of predicting what gilliam would do in um uh, fear and loathing in las vegas a little later on just like mm. these weird canted angles and using there's an ethereal dreamy light. thing that that goes yeah. on to uh, bringing out the dead which he uses more mm. more in that as well. I was going to ask you about that, Devlin, because the, the contrast is high in this film and it looks mm. good. It's very cinematic. But the, yeah. the darks are dark, but some of the highlights of the lights really yeah. shimmer on screen, you know, and it, how I don't, I couldn't figure out how it's, it's got to be the film stock or the processing, what, right? I, so they shot on Super 35, which uh, uh, I guess technically gives you a lower resolution negative image. But what that does is it gives you less latitude. So yeah, mm-hmm. you, you end up with a lot more contrast. But also um, that lighting technique is is essentially, as far as I can tell, it's essentially putting a pro mist over the front of the lens uh, and then just using an unbelievably hot, uh, key light yeah. directly above and then basically using the first um, uh, surface that that hits as a bounce board and that's going to give everyone their their individual light certainly in a lot of the interiors did you not think uh, it looked like they... uh, galley's favorite um era of spielberg or, or the Yano- yeah. Yanich- minority yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a minor- minority yeah. report it and, looks just and... like that to me I, I yeah thought. yeah it's uh but i think um Maybe what Kaminsky did certainly kind of post um, Minority Report was to use quite a lot of heavy digital e- in- intermediate, oh, whereas mm-hmm. this is just prior to the invention of that. So mm. um, you end up with more naturalistic colors because you end up, you can only really use what's available chemically, mm. like photochemically to you, whereas. So it's entirely um, in camera. You've, you've, you're really not doing anything. It's the first film uh, Schumacher d- um, edited digitally as well. It was the first oh, really? digital process. Yeah. She loves the dissolve. Well, I wondered if the yeah. dissolves were more <laughs> playful in there because they're more, I don't know, easier and not as painstaking to, dissolves to create. Within, yeah. Within individual shots. There was, well, he's been doing that of... since, um, uh, it, I wrote a thing on Letterboxd, um, about, uh, is it called the, the big shave? Is it called the big shave? His first, his, his student film where the guy, shaves okay. in the mirror and just keeps going until he starts bleeding and it's like an allegory right. for the um vietnam war and there's stuff in there where there's dissolves like you just said there but in the same shot that the and there's stuff in taxi driver where they dissolve maybe three mm. times right um and it's just a thing that he uh that he sort of evolved over time so I, I just think maybe the digital dissolves made them slightly dissolve happy on this one i tell you what it does though matt i know that you're not that keen on the dissolves but it means that that first hour in particular i mean time just becomes a concept it flies by like I, and i and i wonder if that that then as the film starts to settle that's where you know that kind of end of second act into our into our third and finale people feel the length because that first hour is such a sugar rush um and 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 partly because it's all this documentary style of you know you really are seeing the inner workings of a casino which is kind of fascinating because unless you've worked in one or owned one um then then you're not going to be aware of it and even like the little playful scenes where we've got the the guys that are trying to cheat them you know that becomes like a, a, a its own little mini story 
for 10 minutes. And mm. It's great. It's yeah. really, really good. And the look of it, when you look at, when you think about like how many locations, how many like just pickups, because like some scenes are just pickups. They're just, uh, De Niro walks in uh, and rushes out. It'll just be, you know, they're not even like acting, acting. It's just De Niro with cigarette and we need to just crash into him and then we'll move in. I mean, I would have, yeah. I'd love to have seen the shooting schedule for this bad boy. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really curious to see how they did stuff like uh, the cityscapes beyond windows, like being able to look out into the depths of Vegas. I would imagine that it's possibly some sort of forced perspective set that they've built out there, which has got actual practical neon lights, and they've just kind of the one it reminded you know, me of. You... Dev was Die Hard, you know, when they look out of the Nakatomi. Uh, right. And they they mm. had little lights and things all set up uh, yeah. in a shot like that. And it reminded me of a slightly more advanced version of, of that, perhaps. But I, I couldn't tell you. Because it's, it's more than just a scenic backdrop. Like, it's a, mm. it's a moving thing. So whether yeah. it's, yeah, whether we have this kind of, like, uh, like the corridor they build for Ned Finders after his house. That's a great reference. Have, <laughs> and you just have like increasingly tiny casinos and then beyond which you've got the, the desert. Cause there's a, an amazing, that is definitely a model shot. The, the big overhead when mm. you zoom in through the clouds down, down to, down oh, yeah. to Vegas is that pool of light in the desert. And it's uh, beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's the story of the things that happen in the darkness that we don't see. Yeah. It's perfect. But on the visuals, then uh, we've got to talk about the production design and the costume, the the, the colours that you mentioned, Suits. and De Niro's De Niro's wardrobe is outrageous, and the sunglasses. It reminds me of um, <laughs> talking to Guy Ritchie, uh, uh, Alan Taylor, the the DAP that Guy is working with at the minute. He said on um, the Gentleman, uh, he, he was telling me how <laughs> Hugh Grant found these sunglasses and was like, "Oh, these big glasses, like, yeah, I'll wear these. These are great." So then Charlie Hunnam wanted to wear them. And then Colin Farrell wanted to wear them. He said it's a fucking nightmare to light around because these reflective glasses everywhere and trying to frame yeah. two people at the same time. glasses than the previous person. Yeah. And it's what, well, but De Niro's wardrobe, again, it's, he's not, it, it, it's uh, somehow ill befitting of his nature in the mafia because it's so colorful and it's so loud and celebrity like, you know, and that's what he goes into TV. But yeah. the, to shooting in Vegas and old Vegas and those, the, the, the proper casino floors, it feels so authentic. The driving scene with the little dissolve that Matt said through Vegas feels so authentic and looks great. Is it kind of reflective of, of bits that we learn about Sam though, that like he's so fastidious. So these fussy outfits, these color, the color coordinated fussy outfits really suit him because he has to maintain that meticulous level of self control, but also the fact that he seems to be aware of what he should be doing, but you're not sure whether he doesn't seem to be a man who actually wants things. So like accruing all of these fuck ugly suits and this terrible house. Is like, well, that's what you're supposed to do when you're successful. You're in in almost the same way of like, you're supposed to have a beautiful, glamorous wife, right? But there's also the showboating thing that you can't quite get away from. Like when he goes on TV and he's juggling, and he he could have taken a food and beverage job, material and transactional, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, but Deb's right. Like, how much is it that he feels like he needs to do that? Um, because of what society is kind of 
you know, mm. the, the the pressure on him rather than what he actually really wants. And that, that makes him a complex character too. I quite like that. It also, it also speaks to, again, that Paradise Lost theme of, you know, the forbidden fruit and then going for forbidden fruit, but also access and succumbing mm. to power. Like, as you say, he's, he's, he's growing in stature, in status, you know, he's getting these awards and it does feel like, well, par for the course then is that I need to be the loudest person in the room, certainly visually, so everyone can mm. recognize that I'm the boss. Says it right here. He's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But interestingly, I have never, maybe this is because of the status of the, the actors, so you don't question it, and, and De Niro in particular is at the height of his powers here. But when I watch something like The Irishman and we see the digital de-aging, I yeah. find that quite distracting. I get it. You you can't just put a wig on De Niro at his age now and and, and kind of get away with it in the Irish. Could they have put a backwards baseball cap on him? <laughs> 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 <the> fellow kids. <laughs> is that in Casino, he is, both of them, Pesci and De Niro, are way too old for the characters that they are playing, certainly at the beginning of the film. There's one bit where he says he was 43 years old and I, I did freak out a bit, but I was so happy that there's no de-aging. There's makeup use as well. You'll notice that De Niro, he's got considerably more bags under his eyes as it goes on with the grey flecks in his hair and the makeup's a lot cleaner and smoother around him at the beginning. And it's a simple design well, thing. Goodfellas, it works. it's the same when he says he's in his 20s. Like, Jimmy must have been 27 <laughs> yeah, when Jimmy I met him. He's like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's got crow's feet already. I don't know if he's 20. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't but yeah, question it, right? I don't know. I don't question again, it here at all. It was great. Uh, yeah. I, you know, obviously, A-list and an acting supreme. So you're not, maybe that does color it a little bit, but. Audiences, modern audiences, I think even now who've never seen it, I don't think they would go, oh, get out of town. Mm. You know, Home Alone yeah. Cop 20? No. <laughs> Home Alone Cop. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think, yeah, digital de aging in a lot of cases is solving a problem that doesn't exist. They've created a problem for themselves that they're then solving with a tool which is often quite unpleasant to look at yeah. and that doesn't really. Um, add anything to a story. Ten years. This is, it takes place over ten years. You can have the same actor. Yeah. Pesci at the end when it's like he just Vegas got the better of him. One punch. He's just physically showing that he's older and he's out of gas. Yeah. You can see he mm. kind of he he pulls his head in a little. He gives himself a little bit of a puffier neck. I love the scene because it's basically the moment that I think Frankie. Not that he makes the decision, but you see the change in their dynamic. It's like Pesci sits down and goes. I really fucked up this time. Yeah. <laughs> he's also maybe too much drink. God, go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah, but he, but he's physically, you can see that Vegas has got the best of him. Yeah. And all it is is just the yeah. actors saying, right, you know. Well, look at James Woods. It, James Wood has the, the big wig, the long hair, and then later he has the shorter hair, and Sharon Stone has different hair. It, it's, you design it well, it works, right? Yeah. yeah, you can definitely do it. It doesn't always have to be like American Hustle where you go, these guys are just in makeup and it all looks a bit silly. Mm. Like if you do it properly, <laughs> then you can sneak it in and no one... I'm trying to remember it if it was Kermode who said American Hustle was the wiggiest film of the year. <laughs> well, I, 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 I even to this point where I accidentally watched uh, the Sam Worthington Clash of the Titans this week. And 
the wig that they gave Liam Neeson is is outrageous. <laughs> I've I've played Zeus. Um, <laughs> it's an outrageous boy. wig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never believe me as a green card. And seamlessly. And also, if the if the the director is able to kind of you know, and and with the light in, able to also accentuate these things, and then the actor do it physically, you can mm. totally totally do it and, and that's why i didn't work in the irishman when De Niro gives someone a beating you see him kicking that guy outside the shop it doesn't work well it wasn't yeah. sharon stone kicking flowers was it they yeah. <laughs> yeah quite we haven't even talked about pashi well why was it so weird that because uh, i just watched um, my cousin Vinny. like I, w- I was gonna watch some scorsese stuff and i thought oh, i'll watch my cousin Vinny instead and and <laughs> i didn't find him creepy in, in that <laughs> at all he and he's paired up with marissa tomei who's like most beautiful woman in the world at that point probably yeah and i think she won the oscar for that one and no stuff, she's uh she is slightly closer <laughs> to his height but the, the, and there's no explicit sex between them but you don't find it that difficult to believe that she would be with him um romantically yeah um and i i don't know whether it's just the consequences and and the sort of lewd creepiness of of um nikki santoro yeah, that that does it, but uh, you know, I. But in the story it, terms, he's giving her something that she needs at that time, which is care and attention, uh, shoulders crying. So you, from that aspect, he's just trying to get laid, though, isn't he? Is he not? Just yeah, you never believe oh, yeah. that he's actually being. Because he turns on her eventually. You know, he's like, get get, you know, um, whack someone I've known for thirty years over you, you poor or whatever he calls. It, I can't remember. Mm. And it's it, you never trust someone like that. And and she she finds out, and but that's the whole point of her in the film, isn't it? That's three men that just it hasn't ended up well for her. But Patrick Nicky doesn't trust anybody, you know. He's got the yeah, he's got yeah. safe in his house just in case his his gang get cute. Like he's yeah. just somebody yeah. who yeah. is a bit of a you know he's a he's a it's a wild west for him, but he he keeps people close, you know. So you'd think that Frankie is his like closest confidant, but you never see them interact outside of work mm. i get well, mm. whatever they would call work it's all work and we've, we've got to talk about how he checks out as well because i really feel for him in spite of everything he's done that death is just unacceptable oh. i don't care what you've done the, the, you know the scariest thing there um dev i think is is when it cuts because it's like a time cut when they're beating him and it's like is it an hour later yeah. how long have they been oh. hitting him with, with bats for it's like the close-up when his forehead sprays blood is um yeah so fleeting but did you notice that's an animatronic of him getting buried? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never noticed breathing that. Breathing the dust. Only that one shot, right? Oh. Until I read about it, I didn't register that at all. There's a real kind of pathetic nature in the way that they just roll and dispose of those bodies, right? Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it's, it's such in, a... Yeah. In the white underpants, all kind yeah. of they like they look like newborn fucking farm animals or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. What? what yeah. There's um. There's an interesting moment when Sam in his narration says, if you go to Nicky with Knuckles, he'll come at you with a bat. Mm. And I just think that's a nice setup. Well, the, also it's for the, it's for the real Scorsese geeks who are like, killed by a bat, <laughs> held by Frank Vincent, who played Billy yeah. Bat! Billy Bat's revenge. <laughs> the, the Frank Vincent expression and how much delight he takes in killing him there. I didn't, I don't know if that quite added up to me. The thing is, like, he, he's, he, what do they say? He says something about someone like, he's not Italian, you can't trust him. Frank Vincent's character is Italian and he's been shagging his mate's wife. It's a no-no. 
These guys don't fucking stand for yeah, that the, shit. The, the way they are with each other, you know, when they're in the car park and uh, they're, they're just <laughs> very like, yeah. Who's he? He's, he's nobody. Oh, he's nobody. He's no- <laughs> <laughs> but they're good buddies and he's like confiding in him at times and then he takes such delight in killing him. There's that scene where, as you say, we, we then take on Frankie's perspective. Mm. Does he resent the fact that he's had to go back every month and maybe he doesn't come back? Because of Nikki, yeah. you know, again, we don't see a yeah. scene where he's 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 like says to somebody else, "I wish that guy would calm down." But is it enough for him to say? And sometimes Frankie would go, and he wouldn't know if he would if yeah. he's coming back because the packages yeah. will get him lighter. And then I think Remo said, "Remo, who by the way, you know, Ham Neil Award, Remo Gatsy, uh, agreed." <laughs> Uh, look at look after that guy. He's a lot of money. Um, he loses like, cards earlier. He's like, oh, throwing these cards around the table. It's a degenerate gambler. He's like, he just, oh, how, how did you know he gambled? I just thought maybe Frank Vincent is also um, asserting his authority because he's the new the new tough guy. He's going to be the new um, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so he's got to well. assert himself in front of the guys in the cornfield. That was the worst mm. cornfield death since uh, Children of the Corn. Oh. <laughs> he shot off like a bloody rocket. <laughs> God, it is awful. So it's, it's really awful. But mm. thinking about that evolution of Scorsese, and yes, he's using the same collaborators, but Pesci is so different in Casino than he is in mm. Goodfellas. Again, in Goodfellas, not to say that he's not a psychopath, but he's played as a bit of a, not a clown, but that's the whole joke about, you know, what I make you laugh. There's nothing about mm. uh, Joe Pesci here that's going to make you laugh. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, Goodfellas feels more quotable than this one, but he, he has, like, you degenerate gambling motherfucking... Like, and he still has some great lines. Pesci's got some great lines in this. What do you, it's like, you put your boots up, you... you, you he is great in this film like he's very but he's very way good. more intimidating like the 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 meeting in the desert you know again mm. wild wild we talked about it in the exorcist what a great uh frame shot he, scorsese's or something similar when ace is stood in isolation you see the car and then you see the reflected reflection of the car in his glasses yeah. oh yeah uh, scorsese talked about that on charlie rose there's a good there's not much on the youtube playlist front this week but there's a great interview on charlie rose where it's just scorsese for maybe half hour or so and uh they're all saying to him you should make a western and he said this is the only way he could make a western like two guys in silk suits in the desert (laughs) um this is the only way he could do it because his his approach is more european and his uh he's the filmmakers he's influenced by that there has to be a way of skewering things and like you always say trojan horsing it this is like his Trojan horse Western in many ways, I think. Matt, I was um, I was due to fly back to uh, Okinawa after a, a big win, uh, two million <laughs> in cash, uh, but the the planes are on the fritz, yeah, rather rather down here than up there, right? Um, so <laughs> I had to make my way back to the Tangiers, and on my way uh, there was a little corner shop, and it said Critics Corner, and I wondered if I could. Uh, Drop Ginger a, a wee tab, get the valet, to get me parts, and find out what the critics said about Casino. <laughs> longer than the critics' corner bit. Uh, I think Siskel and Ebert, um, uh, Siskel said it looks great, memorably acted, but breaks no new ground for Scorsese or the actors, and it was a bit of a letdown. Yeah. Uh, 
He wow. said uh, the weakest part was the De Niro Stone love story, uh, but he loved looking at Casino. Uh, each shot is beautifully composed. Um, certain sections of it are watchable. And then Ebert went mad with him. He, he went mad. He said he was astonished because Siskel gave it thumbs down. <laughs> and Ebert, oh, who's, yeah. of course, best buddies with uh, Scorsese as well at this point, and, and he can do no wrong. Um he said De Niro and Stone were fascinating. It was a breakthrough for Scorsese. Um, the the idea that the, the lust and the love of two people led to the mob leaving Vegas, which related back to like the first image of um, just stepping out of Critics Corner for a second. There was a, an image of two people fighting on a on a uh, in their in their yard, and um, and that was one of the first images that that. Uh, made them want to make the the film so again it's trojan horsing all that in mm. using like uh, the story of these two people to relate to the mob and everything and and uh telling a story about america which uh, ebert found uh you know to, to be incredibly uh interesting and siskel missed it entirely um ebert gave it four stars which is his maximum i think in his written piece uh it makes us feel like eavesdroppers in a secret place scorsese tells his story with the energy and pacing he's famous for and with a wealth of little details that feel just right um the supporting cast includes such people as don rickles whose very presence evokes an era um and unlike his other mafia movies mm. mean streets and goodfellas casino is as concerned with history as with plot and character. Um, time Out. Do you remember Time Out? Are they still going? Yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot of chocolate bar as well. It's quite nice. Yeah, Wait I remember them. Oh, <laughs> uh, Human food. Yeah. Uh, time Out said, uh, what's wrong is the approach. Vir virtuosity seems almost to have become an end in itself. Scorsese's dazzling kinetic technique calls attention to itself so persistently that story and characters retreat into the background. Uh, it's a tired rerun of Goodfellas. Mm. Let's, let's get that motherfucker whacked. Yeah, I mean, don't get me <laughs> wrong. Know, I thought you were about to say that the critic was <clears throat> going to say that Virtuosity was a better film. I thought that's where that opening line was going <laughs> to be. I don't think so. That's, that's a brave take. Oh, as, a, as a weird aside, I kind of feel like what they're describing there is Snake Eyes. Yeah. Ooh. Which is very enjoyable. Like we talked about Blow earlier as well, which is similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah enjoyable but not as much going on yeah shall we end with janet maslin at the new york times uh mr scorsese has been here and done this already uh but not with Ooh. his new film hold on hold on hold the phone but <laughs> oh, she's, she's just she's luring you in, Patrick. You in. <laughs> uh, but not with his new film's blistering bitterness or its peacock extravagance the long oh. astonishing copacabana sequence in goodfellas was only a warm-up for this casino has mm. also a new ingredient in sharon stone who will be nobody's idea of Hollywood fluff after this spectacular emblematic performance. She goes on. She liked it. Cool. Well, Jan, we need to get Janet on the show. That was wicked. Yeah. I liked that. <laughs> I'm sure she'll, I'm sure she'll come. <laughs> Somebody Google her quick. Is she still, uh, she's still going. Uh, I, I literally what I pulled my phone out for. <laughs> uh... Pop quiz, hot shot. Okay. Pop quiz, assholes. Oh, quiz time. Reminder of the scores. Matt leads with seven. Dev with six. And Galley snuck up there with four. Not doing too bad these days. But, Galley, what's your buzzer, please? Charlie M, you dumb motherfucker! 
<laughs> Matt, can you beat that? What's your buzzer? How the fuck can you grin? <laughs> Very good. And Devlin, buzzer, please. Fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? <laughs> you ready for question one? We're ready. Fingers on the buzzers. Question one. What's the name of Nikki's jewelry store? Charlie M, you dumb motherfucker! The gold Rush. Gold Rush is correct. Oh, well done. Gally flying into the lead. Uh, can't take the piss out of him anymore. Um, question two. Question two. What's the name of Sam and Ginger's daughter? Fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Devlin was first there with Momo. I said it and I forgot it. No way. Charlie M, you dumb motherfucker! Go over to Gally then. Amy. Amy is. Damn it. Correct. Gally! Oh my god, well he's. Here we go. Okay. Can you do a clean sweep, Gally? That's two out of two. Clean sweep with question three. Uh, what year did Ginger die? How the fuck can you grin? <laughs> Matt? A.E. <laughs> Eighty-six is incorrect. I pass over to the other two buzzers. Charlie M, you dumb motherfucker! Gally? Eighty-three. Eighty-three is correct for the clean swap! Oh, oh Gally! <laughs> what you don't know is that someone across the, the way actually can see Patrick's questions has been Morse code in me. Thank you very much, Patrick. It leads me to ask for final thoughts and recommendations. I'll start with you, Devlin. Any final thoughts, and would you recommend Casino to our uh, hallowed listeners? Uh, yes, they are hallowed. Um, I will keep it very brief because I, um, like I say, I, I, I really enjoyed rewatching this film, and I feel like. Um, had I, I i would like to delve back in chatting about it with you guys has been um uh very informative because i i only watched it the once which is unusual when you do this podcast but it happens and i found it quite a, a really fleet watch if that makes sense for a film that's quite long um yeah i think it's always quite cool to watch something that's really got a lot of depth to it there's a huge amount of stuff going on um that doesn't follow a a very predictable path as well it zigs and zags around the place but you feel like you're in control you feel like you are being guided through this thing by an extraordinarily enthusiastic but very steady hand uh, and I think that it might stealthily be a lot more influential than possibly the um the reputation that it has in the modern day is uh uh um would suggest i think that a lot of films may have stealthily lifted from this i think that it possibly created a sort of a turbocharged kind of candy colored uh uh type of high octane crime filmmaking but that keeps things at a very grounded character based level that i think ended up being like we were saying probably Paul Thomas Anderson in, in, in Boogie Nights specifically was looking a lot more at this one than he was maybe at some of the more famous films in the Scorsese back catalog, um, which which makes it a really interesting one to watch. I, I think that, um, yeah, it's a, it's a film uh, that I would recommend watching and I wouldn't even have to recommend a day of the week to do it. You can watch it whenever you want, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, it's a big recommend from me. How about you, uh, Patrick? Mm. 
Yes, I recommend. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Twice. <laughs> uh, it, it's almost so much better than I remembered it being. To go follow on from what Devlin was saying there, it's, it's I don't know, it's kind of great watching something steeped with this unmistakable cinematic signature Scorsese, and yet he's able to do different genres and people say this is his key kind of genre in gangster um, flecked films, but there's so much more to him, but it's, it's I, I could watch this for, we talked about the runtime. I could watch it for hours. I could watch him roaming a casino floor with De Niro narrating it and little bits and little arcs of who's doing what and why for a lot longer than we had there. It was something really sumptuous and entertaining about it that I really liked. Um I didn't, I thought it's weird with a um, loosely plotted thing, but it did really fly by for me as well. Uh, we go from character to character through history and their changes and what happens to them. It's, um, it was quite, I find it quite fascinating as like a, this historical collage of character, um, about duality and trust, loyalty and the consequences of one's actions, whether, their friends, their lovers, the people they work with, all of that really came through that I liked. And that cautionary tale of about being careful what you wish for. Um, it's, it just seems to, it came through really nicely. Um, there's moments in there that will, that shocked me and are brutal and then undercut by James Woods bickering with a child. You know, it's, got the wicked sense of humor as galley said and i agree with that and then severity is always there it's whether politics money the greed of it murder um i it, yeah it kind of washed over me it was great really enjoyed it it looks amazing the the performances are fucking incredible i matt said sharon stone for him i'm struggling to pick out of all three of them pashi i think is incredible Stone may just be the one, but De Niro is amazing in this. The stillness of him and then the emotion of him as well. Even though he's so kind of straight faced and almost unemotive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. I just don't think I agree with what we're saying that I see the comparisons with Goodfellas, but I don't agree with them. I think it's its own film. I think it's different. I think it's a different beast. It's, it's really good. Gally, you're nodding. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I'm going to pick up on what Devon said about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, for, for listeners, uh, slightly, you know, just to show kind of that long tail of Casino, you have to look at the Safdie brothers and Uncut Gems mm-hmm. and wonder, like, are they taking some of the techniques that Scorsese's employing here? And then... <laughs> cranking it up even further uh, in some elements of Uncut Gems. But you can definitely see it. Um, and you're right. I think Casino is its own is its own film. It's its own story. Yes, we're dealing with similar um, character types. But it's a bit like Goodfellas. They're not gangster films. They're not gangster films in the traditional sense. And they're not gangster films in the imitator's sense. They're, they're films where we're using gangsters as a metaphor for something else. And, and and Casino is the same. You know, it has the the feeling, that historical um, kind of, that historical uh, run through American history and time. 
um it almost feels like uh like the tangiers is 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 rome and the, the last you know the last few moments of uh, rome before it collapsed and it's got that same type you know you see the casinos falling at the end and it's like yes scorsese you know you, you're doing it you're bringing all this together and it's layered it's not just uh you know it's like i say it's not just a rise and fall mafia story about how they got kicked out of town so yeah it's a strong recommendation from me i also think as well if you're a young budding filmmaker if you're going to pinch from from someone then you may as well pinch from Scorsese because <laughs> there's lots of stuff that you can just take in isolation obviously subtext is key but if you wanted to just play around with a camera just look at some of the stuff he's doing you can do it low budget it's just you need to be super rehearsed and obviously it might be helpful if you've got a really good camera and lighting guy um all good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I think you can definitely play because he plays, but he does it in such a way that it makes it look so effortless. And uh, and I mentioned it right at the beginning. Scorsese, not that he doesn't get love, because he clearly does. He gets lots of love. But he doesn't have that kind of like referential love that a Spielberg has. Because, you know, in his gangster films, there hasn't been a huge electrical fence where one of them um, breaks out because... Uh, you know, some guy greedily trying to steal the DNA. You know, you get what I'm saying? He doesn't have a Jurassic Park. Maybe Goodfellas is... Is it because he's more adult? No, no, because it's not to say that Spielberg isn't adult. He just doesn't have that film that everyone goes, oh, I saw this at the cinema and it's, you know, maybe Goodfellas is, I saw it on VHS and it was. But mm. he hasn't got many others. Like, I don't think anyone's going, I tell you what, Raging Bull, first film I saw at the cinema fucking brilliant yeah right. they you will they'll say it's brilliant but they're not gonna it's very few broad audiences here i'm talking yeah. about like broad you know it's not he doesn't do mm. blockbusters either but like hugo is not gonna be something that people I, I do i really like it but it's for like scorsese fans almost or cinema fans it's slightly different mm. i guess you get what i'm saying i'm not i'm not yeah. trying to yeah. he doesn't have a jurassic park or an et or even a Jaws, I don't think. He doesn't have one of those. He didn't make a family-friendly film until very, very far into his career. He what if Joe Pesci was E.T.? Different... But that would be so <laughs> fun, mate. I'm trying to get home, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be right fucking here. <laughs> you can't... <laughs> Opens up the closet in, uh, in the hat that Drew Barrymore was dressed and it's like that. You shit... <laughs> that, that film should get made. That needs to get made, doesn't it? E.T. doesn't go home, he gets beaten up to death. <laughs> and rolls into an entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this summary, uh, isn't that the, there was somebody who made that joke on Twitter, right? Where it's like, oh, I can tell you that my friends and I would have beat E.T. to death with hammers. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh dear anyway that that would be a different film maybe better who knows would you recommend that <laughs> film matt or would you recommend casino <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think what do you think matt uh scorsese talked a little bit about how he couldn't just make another good fellas and that him and bob had to be excited about doing another thing he didn't he really didn't want to retread it so i think it's it i think you're right patrick it's really unfair he, in you know, although I did it immediately because it just feels like the next, it feels like a brother to it or something or a, or a, a cousin somehow. Um, but um, here I, I think Casino's like 
intentionally so dense that I'm not sure we're supposed to understand it all fully. I've probably seen it seven or eight times now and I touched on it before. It's quite hard to relay <laughs> everything that it's about. Um, it's the rise and fall of Sam Rothstein and the casino business and the Tangiers and Ginger and Nikki and all the darkness and the downfall, but the ins and outs of it and the, the mob stuff, it, it gets quite uh, convoluted there. Um, and I think that that's revealed in the film because there's a bit where I think Nikki says, uh, I don't know why they chose him. I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Don't ask me. And it's even in the voiceover itself. Like not even the characters know everything about what's kind of materializing a, a, around them. So I think that's intentional. Um, uh, the ins and the outs and, and the mechanics of how casinos are run. I found that really interesting and that milieu. Um, and it makes total sense for a Scorsese film. Uh, to explore that with De Niro and Pesci and the meticulous nature of it reflects Scorsese as well. I think who, as well as Ace is very meticulous. Um, at the Goodfellas, we said had that lower level gangster tier and here it's like more money and more blood. And it just, um, that this idea of punishing us for enjoying the rise. And it reminded me of that thing. Sam Raimi always said about how the audience must suffer. And it's a little bit like Goodfellas too. It's like the way it, it, we're enjoying this build so much that we then have to be brought, brought down to the, to the pits afterwards. Um, in the Marty rankings, I didn't really do a, a full Marty ranking. We can save it, but, um, this one's, oh, he'll be back. Yeah. Um, maybe just below bringing out the dead for me, which is about sixth or seventh favorite Scorsese. So the, the fact that I really enjoy this and it's, so low in my rankings speaks volumes about how many great films he's made. I think it's not intended as a diss on, uh, on Casino. Um, I think Gally said at one point, maybe in your notes that it's kind of a matter of fact film. It's like we fucked it up and that's that. And, and I think Goodfellas has more heart and romanticism. Um, uh, but this is a film that tells you not to trust anyone, your own partner, your wife, your best friend, the people you work with. And it, it's quite a hopeless film at times about deceit and betrayal. And I find it quite difficult to, to get through. Um, um, but, and it, and it, de it did depress me. Um, so, uh, that's something that's worth something. Um, in spite of it not being for everyone, it's an absolute recommend. Um, and for someone to not recommend it would be like Siskel giving it the thumbs down and Ebert being disgusted with him. So I'm, I'm glad we've all thumbed it up. I'm putting that on the poster, Matt. It depressed me. Two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> if I can, uh, just, you've depressed you know, me. <laughs> um, it Siskel not getting it and giving it a thumbs down because he can't envision being horny enough to ruin his life. And <laughs> Roger Ebert being like, no. I absolutely can envision <laughs> yeah. that. Two thumbs up, four stars is just right. such a, it's a, that's the subtext of that of review, Dev. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great summation of those two. Yeah. Absolutely. <sighs> one's uh, horny, where, one's not. <laughs> yeah. Where, where can our listeners find uh, Casino then, team? If you're in Korea, you can watch it on Wave. Uh, that's the streaming service we've got. Uh, if you're in Wave, that's USA, a new one. Yeah. With two A's, W A A V E. Um, oh, wavy. Yeah. I, I, I shouldn't think you'll, you'll ever require it, but, uh, in the USA, uh, Fubo, Patrick's favorite, uh, mm. 
Paramount <laughs> has got it. Showtime has got it. And you can rent it in the usual places like Redbox. Uh, Casino is <laughs> in the UK uh, on Prime Video and you can rent it on Rakuten TV and Google But be careful Play if you and... buy a DVD because it's an old <laughs> DVD and it's fucking terribly formatted for the new TVs and stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Devlin, you said there's a show in for the UK so, people in the London town. If uh, if you are in the UK, there is uh, currently, probably when we release this, I would hope it is still going to be in time for it. There is uh, Picture House Cinemas are doing a Scorsese De Niro collaboration season of cinematic re-releases. And I believe these are 4K restorations. And mm. once we get to the end of September, certainly in my local Picture House down Stratford Way, uh, that is due to run, I think, around the 29th of September. So uh, check out Picture House uh, Cinema's website and see if you can track those down. Because uh, what timing, eh? That you yeah. can go see what it on the timing. big screen. Yeah, it's like Brilliant. we planned it and we definitely didn't. Um, no, <laughs> good, good. Uh, Devlin, uh, for those people that, um, you know, like their blueberries and their blueberry muffin. Where, where <laughs> can they... amounts. Do you, do you know how long... Do you know how long that's going to be? You're going to say that again. <laughs> a, a shot of a face that tells you everything. It's like... He's so fucking done, isn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, where can our listeners buy our incredible merchandise? Well, get yourself across to rewindmoviecast.com. That's a website that we use for stuff episode links etc essays uh, the backlog of all of our old episodes uh there is a tab at the top of the website shop that will take you to devlin does drawing dot Mm. Uh, links down in the show notes as well. You can go buy some t-shirts. Somebody bought some this week. Oh, um, what are they buying? Uh, a, yeah. uh, Rumblefish shirt and Ooh. a shirt, uh, featuring, uh, female prisoner scorpion. I believe it was grudge song it was the, the the fourth film which is an interesting choice yeah a couple of new shirts are up there one from uh, uh two designs from return of the living dead three oh. starring uh marissa's mum from the oc because oh. <laughs> <Yay. laughs> nice. i love yeah. i love that film uh and something else that obviously must be so tremendously memorable <laughs> if i literally can't dredge it up oh uh yeah no just um listeners if you enjoy what we do then please like share subscribe spread the gospel team um hopefully you're really enjoying our new open slate series where we speak to film and television professionals and and they give us a a run through of their careers and hopefully give uh, those of you that are looking at, at having a career in the industry uh, a little bit of insight and some top tips um yeah and for those of you that have been supporting the show we really appreciate it we're entering spooky season soon um we already have one list of requests for halloween so I will ask for those of you that were thinking about it to maybe hold off on the scary ones because we've already got one in. Maybe think about Christmas, okay? Because it's coming soon. <laughs> um, and also just keep, uh, you know, keep sending in your feedback. And if you have any questions for us on the Open Slate season or anyone you would like us to speak to, um, then, you know, obviously, you know, Scarlett Johansson, if available. Johansson. Um, Johansson. That's why she won't answer my call. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Let us know, all right? Uh, right. Love. We'll say goodbye, then, shall we, too? Yes, I'm going to do it again because please. it's so good. Charlie fucking out. It's Gally in Glasgow, like, signing out. Uh, playing cardboard pirates. Ring. It's Devlin in London. <laughs> Choking it, motherfucker. It's Patrick in London. 
Be nice. Don't fuck up in here. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns. The ring of fire. The ring of fire. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire. The taste of love is sweet when hearts like ours meet. I fell for you like a child Oh, but the fire went wild I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire